This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair uses a molecule called hypochlorous acid, which mimics our natural immune response to cleanse, soothe irritation, reduce inflammation, and support healing. We've been loving Active Skin Repair for all the cuts and scrapes that show up in the active toddler life. Sage loves that there's both the spray version, but also a cream version. He likes to get to choose which one he's going to do. He calls it the magic cream. And it's been so great for taking care of Mila's neck rash now that she's full on teething. Can we get a minute for a teething three and a half month old? What in the world? Active Skin Repair has thousands of five-star reviews and the ingredients so safe and clean, they can be used from the youngest member of the family to the oldest. Keeping it simple with one soothing solution for all your family's skin health needs. Visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and to get 20% off your order, use code VILLAGE. That's www.activeskinrepair.com, code VILLAGE, for 20% off your order. You're listening to Voices of Your Village. This is episode 154. In this episode, Dr. Smitha Milholtra, a pediatrician, and I got to dive into building resiliency in kiddos. What a year for building resiliency. I feel like we've all had so much practice (laughs) over the last year. And as we head into 2021 here, I want to look at how do we take challenges from I didn't get the cup I wanted or I'm frustrated as I'm trying to do my schoolwork to I can't see my friends or go to school in the way that I used to. How do we take those things and navigate them and work through them and come out the other side resilient. Dr. Smitha has a practice in California and she it, it she's doing this work that I believe so deep in where she's bringing other disciplines into the practice. From pediatricians to occupational therapists and speech language pathologists and developmental specialists bringing everyone in house And looking at how do we call on other disciplines to support parents and caregivers and kiddos on this journey. I loved getting to chat with her and I'm so excited to share this interview with you. Before we dive in, let's chat about this membership. I am so jazzed. We have a brand new village membership going live on January 22nd. In the membership, you will get access to Tiny Humans, Big Emotions and our reparenting class. And then you'll get access to our team with more support tools and resources to actually implement this work, to do it every day. We wanted to create a space where we could guide you through the courses and looking at what it looks like in everyday life to do this work, to reparent ourselves, to rewrite those narratives and that social programming that comes from our childhood and show up with intention with the tiny humans to raise emotionally intelligent humans. Our membership platform is the way to go here. Our team is pouring so many tools and resources and support into this, a space where you get to come and ask your biggest questions on this journey and for us to guide you along the way. The membership goes live 
on Friday the 22nd. So mark your calendar. We are only opening the cart for the membership for a limited time and then it will be closed. So now is the time. If you want to learn more about the Village membership, make sure you're following along over on Instagram at seed.and.so, S-E-W, and feel free to shoot us an email, support at seedandso.org. I would love to hear from you, hear your biggest questions, and make sure you are ready to go on January 22nd. Oh, this is such a dream come true for me, and I'm so, so jazzed to bring this your way. All right, folks, let's dive in. Welcome to Voices of Your Village, a place where parents, caregivers, teachers, and experts come to support one another on this wild ride of raising tiny humans. We combine decades of experience with the latest research to create the modern parenting village. Let's dive into honest conversation about real parenting challenges so it doesn't have to be this hard. I'm your host, sleep consultant, child development specialist, and passionate feminist, Alyssa Blass Campbell. so intense to be on this journey and feel like there's so much work to do and maybe you're bringing things from your own childhood or maybe co-parenting's a challenge and you're trying to figure out how to navigate that. Maybe at each age and stage you're like, wait, Alyssa, how do I do this? This new thing is coming up and I need support. As folks were coming into our Tiny Humans, Big Emotions and Reparenting courses, I found myself wanting to guide them through the courses. So not just give you the information, but walk you through step-by-step how to implement this in everyday life. I wanted a comprehensive space where we could continue to pour in resources and have bonus webinars and workshops and give you the opportunity to connect not just with our team, but with other folks who are doing this work too, who have committed to raising emotionally intelligent humans and want to walk alongside you in this journey. As I was dreaming about this, I realized we can make it happen. I'm so excited about our Village Membership Program, where we're going to be walking you through this work, a space where you get to bring your biggest questions. As our social media grew, it just became too much for me to do in DMs and in messages, and I wanted to create a spot where my whole team can pour into you, where I can show up live and walk alongside you. We're dreaming up so many fun ways to support you inside the membership and some exclusive deals for our members. The membership sign-up goes live on January 22nd, so mark your calendars. The sign-up will be open for less than two weeks, so reach out, send us an email, support at seedandso.org, or come on over to Instagram and ask your questions. Let's dive into this. We want to make sure you are ready to go when sign-ups launch so that you don't miss out on this opportunity. I want to support you in doing this work every day. Mark your calendar for January 22nd to dive into community in our village membership, the space that I'm really excited to be able to raise my tiny human in. January 22nd, mark your calendar now. Hey 
everyone. Welcome back to Voices of Your Village. Today I'm here with Dr. Smitha Melhotra, and you are a pediatrician, yeah, for like 10 years? Yeah, for longer than 10 years. Yeah, I can't believe it. (laughs) Awesome. And a mom of two. Yes, six and three years old. And I stalked your Instagram and they're really adorable. Oh, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) They're beautiful mixed black and Indian babies. I call them Blindians. So (laughs) I love that. They're gorgeous. Um, Can you share a bit with our village about kind of what brought you into this work? Yeah, sure. Um, so my name is Smitha Mohotra, as you said. Um, I'm a mom of two six- and three-year-old daughters. They're beautiful. Um, I'm a pediatrician in Los Angeles, and I've been a pediatrician for about 12 years now. And currently, I run a program for Los Angeles County that helps children who are experiencing trauma and helps their families um, to build resilience for their children. Um, and so I, I mean, I've always wanted to be a pediatrician, you know, I came into this work, I think, understanding my own childhood. Um, I realized how impactful childhood can be, even though it's short, it's very impactful and can last for a lifetime. And so, um, I knew that if I wanted to, first of all, go into medicine and impact a person's life, I needed to start in childhood. So I knew I was going to do pediatrics when I even started medical school. It was just innate in me. (laughs) But to be honest, I did not discover my true passion for pediatrics until two years after I finished my residency training. So in 2010. And that was when I discovered the work of Dr. Vincent Filetti. Are you familiar with his Uh work? Okay. So Dr. Vincent Filetti, he's an adult doctor. And um, in 1998, he published this study in the American Journal of Preventive Medicine, and he surveyed more than 17,000 adults about their history of exposure to childhood traumas, so abuse, neglect, family dysfunction. And he called these adverse childhood experiences Uh or ACEs. Okay, that was actually... Yeah, that was actually my question when you said you were working in LA and the program you're working on. I was like, ooh, you're working with kids with a number of ACEs. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So I'm very proud of Los Angeles County because we've actually really had a campaign to bring ACEs into healthcare and addressing ACEs in healthcare. And so what Dr. Vincent Filetti did is that he asked these 17,000, more than 17,000 adults about their history of exposure to ACEs, adverse childhood experiences, and he developed a scoring system for them. So, you know, he asked about their history. There were like seven ACEs that he came up with at that time. As you can understand, now there's like many more. But um, what he found in his study is that there was a clear relationship between high A scores and poor health outcomes as adults. So for example, you know, a child who had an A score of four, or, I mean, an adult who had an A score of four or greater was two times greater risk for developing, you know, things like pulmonary disease or liver disease than a person with an A score of zero. And so what that showed me is that emotional trauma in children can translate into physical health ailments as adults. And, you know, what Dr. Folletti taught me is that, or in what he said, is that what we see in adult medicine is a result of what was present, but not seen in pediatrics. And so that really shaped 
my whole or change the trajectory of my whole career. So what I discovered after reading about this study and learning about Dr. Filetti is that a multitude of the diagnoses I was seeing in pediatrics were actually misdiagnoses of trauma. And so I saw all of these children now with this new trauma lens on, and uh, it just changed my career. And I knew that I, I actually quit the job I was in to change the direction I was going. <laughs> and um, back then, you know, people were not, the medical system, you know, was overwhelmed. You know, we're seeing patients every 10 to 15 minutes. No pediatrician has time to like uncover like what happened in your childhood. And, you know, like they were just not ready for this. <laughs> yeah. You know, like now we're going to screen for this. And what, what do I do after I screen for that? You know, so um, it just, it, it took many, many years. But here we are. Los Angeles County has now developed a whole system um, of, uh, now screening for ACEs and developing a response to ACEs. And um, I think that has really shaped what I do now. And, you know, I'm thankful to Dr. Filetti for that study and many subsequent other studies that came after that. Yeah, that's awesome. So I'm fascinated by ACEs. I think similarly, I was working in early childhood and realize like, Ooh, so much of this comes back to emotional development. Oh wait, like all of this comes back to emotional development, kept making these connections and ended up leaving my classroom to do this. Like very relatable. And so cool that you're in a state. I mean, California is leading the nation on this work in ACEs and the only state in the nation with a surgeon general, right? And yes. Dr. Nadine Burke Harris is fantastic. Mm -hmm. And this is so in the forefront for her as well. I'm sure it has like opened so many doors for you to be able to do this work there. That's incredible. I feel like I could, oh my gosh, now I'm like, I just want to do a full episode on ACEs <laughs> with you. This is so fun. We maybe we'll curb that. We'll do more on ACEs at some point. Today, I want to chat about like building resilience in kids and what this looks like and obviously a huge connection here to ACEs but how does this play out and how do we build it because we know that there are going to be a number of kids who have some ACEs right who and even if you don't how do you build resilience what does it look like in our tiny humans one thing I was browsing your website and one thing that stood out to me was you had two sentences in there that like jumped out at me. You said what we believe about ourselves can impact our ability to heal. And it's only through owning our minds that we can take charge of owning our health. And I just think that's so true. <laughs> I yeah. think we don't connect the mind body often enough. Right. Right. Um, just this morning I was chatting with somebody about anxiety and uh, for me, I think we've like, it's this big fancy word for I'm feeling fear and my body's having a reaction to fear, right? right. And it has, a, it, it's rad, I think that we're talking more about it, but also I have, I have a fear that we're going to normalize anxiety as a, as a norm, as rather than I feel fear and I experience it and I know what it feels like in my body and I can be present with it and acknowledge it and move through it, that I'm going to experience it and say that I have anxiety and be stuck in anxiety, right? And I think when we're looking at resilience in kids, this is one of the common things that I've been seeing is the role of anxiety and the connection to resilience. Yes, yes. Um, I think it's really all about 
shifting that perspective. I can tell you personally, I have, um, I grew up with anxiety. I mean, that was, uh, I had a very tumultuous childhood. Uh, I moved many, many places. I escaped war to come to this country. So um, anxiety was in the background of my life. And I think it never, it escalated to its ultimate point when I had children, you know, because I was so anxious for them every single day. And I began to realize that if I don't get a hold of this, they are going to inherit it. They are going to take on my anxiety and take on my fears um, and take on, you know, what I'm feeling. And um, you're right. We, you know, I, I, I remember distinctly, you know, how I grew up. I was told that I was not to have emotions, right? Um, as I'm an Indian woman, uh, generally in our culture, women are people pleasers and uh, we tend to suppress our emotions to please others. And I never dealt with emotions. You know, even my, my mom lost her grandmother and locked herself in a room for three days so I wouldn't see her grieving, you know? And so I didn't even realize that grief is an emotion. She came out three days later and was happy. You know? And I was like, wait a second, didn't someone pass away? You know? um, so I, I have realized after having children that that needs to change going forward for my family. These aces can't be passed down through generations. So what we're going through right now, the COVID-19 pandemic, yeah. this is an ace for our children. This is a trauma for our children. Throughout this pandemic, actually, it has been a test of resilience for my family, too. My children lost their paternal grandfather to COVID-19, grandmother, sorry, to COVID-19. And so what I teach to my patients, I had to learn to teach to my family. So I think the first and most important thing our children need to see from us is that feelings are okay, right? You know, this is just ingrained in me. I was very quick to be like, I feel incredibly sad and I want to cry, but I can't cry in front of my kids, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, the first thing I did, you know, during this time was, you know what? No, I preach this to other people. I have to practice it myself. I let my kids see me cry. You know, that was probably the first time my children have seen me cry. And just understanding that feelings are okay in this house, that grief is okay in this house, but that you don't have to hold that space for me. I can, I can hold that space for myself, you know, and that, that's really important you know, don't put that grief on your child, but let your child see that it is okay to feel sad. It is okay to grieve the loss of someone. Totally. It's a whole different ballgame to see somebody experience an emotion and as a child to know that they have the tools on their own to move through it, to process it versus feeling responsible for them and Mm -hmm. for their processing. Right. And I think that that's a fine line and it's a hard line to strike for a lot of us of, and I think it comes out in little ways The like, Oh, it makes me happy when you clean up your toys or it makes me sad when you hit me we are responsible for our own emotions as adults, right? So you can feel sad, you can feel happy, you're going to feel all these things. You're responsible for regulating and processing, not your child. (laughs) And 
we can hold space for them. It's not their job. And this is something people in our village get caught up on a lot of like, how do we teach empathy without them being responsible for us? And this difference of the parent caregiver relationship to the child versus a peer relationship or any other relationship that they're going to experience. Right, right. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really fine line. And I understand it's very hard, you know, especially I have a lot of parents during this time say, well, can I tell my kids that, that I'm scared, you know, that I'm scared of COVID or I'm scared to go out there. And I was like, sure. Yes, you should. You should tell your kids that you have this fear, but then there are ways to tell them also that it's okay to live in uncertainty. So acknowledging uncertainty. You know, none of us can predict the future. A lot of times I tell my daughter, I don't know what is going to happen. I can't predict it, but I can live in this moment and I can thrive in this moment and we can be okay. I think letting children know that um, the future is uncertain, but you can still thrive in that. You know, that's like a huge part of resilience. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Being back to work after maternity leave has been so good and frankly, so hard. I love what I do and I missed collaborating with my team while I was out and it's been a tough transition. The combination of a packed schedule and still being the milk machine for me, Labine, it's hard to juggle everything. I feel so grateful for my weekly therapy hour. Sometimes I'm just holding so much and I need a safe space to let it out and get it off my chest. I've noticed that when I don't release it, it comes out anyway, but usually in ways that aren't aligned with how I want to show up in the world. BetterHelp is such a convenient, flexible option for parents who just can't take the travel time to get to an in-person therapy visit. It's entirely online. You can show up in your jammies, always a win in my book, and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you're on your way to feeling heard. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash voices today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash voices. It's so frustrating to spend the money and effort to buy your kids clothes just to have them grow out of the size within a week or have your kids complain that they itch, pinch, or just aren't comfortable. If you're with me on this, you've got to check out Posh Peanut. Their sensitive skin-friendly clothes are made from viscose from bamboo, stretch with your kid as they grow, and they're also made to last. Posh Peanut makes thoughtfully crafted, super cute clothing for kids and families. It is the softest thing, y'all. The design is all done in-house with different patterns, and it came in the mail, and I was like, oh my gosh, I want to wear this for myself every day. Their Lux women's pajamas and robes were all that I wanted to wear postpartum for nursing and hanging out on the couch with Mila. It helps so much that the fabric is breathable and chemical-free, which means they're delicate against Mila's sensitive skin, too. And I totally get why Posh Peanut is loved by over 1 million parents. Right now, Posh Peanut is offering our listeners 20% off your first order with promo code VILLAGE. Go to poshpeanut.com village and use promo code VILLAGE for 20% off your first order. That's poshpeanut.com village, promo code VILLAGE. And then the next thing is, you know, validate their feelings. They're scared and saying, I understand you're scared. It's okay to feel scared. My first instinct, obviously every parent's first instinct is to be like, don't worry about that. That's never going to happen. 
<laughs> um, I you don't my, have to be scared. <laughs> I know. My daughter, um, actually a six-year-old, um, you know, she, she came up to me one day and, you know, was like, I, uh, I'm worried that you're going to leave me like grandma did, you know, mm-hmm. you know, because you see COVID patients every day, you know, you, that's what you do. And, and I'm worried you're going to leave me like grandma did. And I honestly did not realize my six-year-old could think that, that deeply and that intensely, you know? And um, my first instinct was really, was to say, oh my gosh, you don't have to worry about that. I am never going to leave you, (laughs) you know? And, um, but, uh, you know, I had to take a moment and say, you know, I would be scared too. I understand that fear. And that is really scary for you. But there are so many things that we're doing to keep ourselves protected, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I realized that to make her feel seen, I had to validate that feeling. It's very, very easy to say, don't worry about it. I'm always going to take care of you. And that's totally. because that's what you want to do. <laughs> yeah, of course you want to be like, no, 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 There, you will never feel harm, right? Like It'll all be good. And I think even for our, uh, noting this for ourselves too, that this is so key in, in, building resilience in, yeah, we are getting like a master class in it in 2020, but for us as adults to be able to identify what is our root fear, right? Like when we are feeling scared here and now, what are we, what are you really scared of? Is it health related? Is it financial? Is it, what are you really scared of? And what would it mean if that came true? Right. Like what would that mean? And that for me in like letting go of control or relinquishing that, you know, control is an anxiety response, right? We're like, oh, if I can control this thing, then I'll feel safe, whether it's financially, emotionally, physically, whatever. If I can control this thing, I would feel safe, which I think is why we're seeing such a dichotomy right now of folks. Everyone's doing what they think makes them feel safe, right? Or however they feel safe. And that that's different for everybody. And it's hard when we're relying on the entire population to do something to for everybody to feel safe when people have different barometers of, oh, I feel safe right now. Right. Or I don't. Right. So a lot of the things um, that we've also been working on with our children is acknowledging what we can control, right? Mm-hmm. So um, we started with showing our feelings, validating their feelings, acknowledging uncertainty, and then acknowledging what you can control. Because that kind of empowers a child and gives some sense of control to them. So you know, I, I often tell my daughters, you know, I can't predict the future. I don't know what's going to happen in the future, but we are wearing masks. We're social distancing. We're careful with our actions. And this is what we can control to help keep the rest of the world safe. And mm-hmm. here you are, you're doing something to make the world better. And that's quite, that's quite a uh, responsibility, you know, And so I often give them this analogy of, uh, this is an analogy that I grew up with that people would also often tell me, is that you can be like the eye at the center of a tornado. So like where everything around you is chaotic and, and changing, you can be at the eye, you can control your own self, you can control your feelings, you can remain calm, even when the world is chaotic. 
And um, I like them thinking about that, you know, like that the world may be chaotic outside, but we can be calm inside. Oh, I love that. When we, a colleague and I created an emotion processing method, collaborative emotion processing method that we researched across the US. And as a part of our training for the SEP method, that that was one of the analogies that we used was like finding the eye of the storm and that you get to be the eye. And our goal as the adult is to find that eye, right? But I love teaching that to kids too. That's awesome. Yeah, because it's so it's so tangible for them. You know, um, you know, when you can give a kid an analogy that they can actually visualize, it really changes things for them. And then they they think about it all the time, you know. Um, I mean, so many of us, right? That came from your childhood. It stuck with you. Yes. Right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, not that I'm that old, but uh, many, no, many years like, ago. Yeah. But, like for, <laughs> but for kids, like it sticks <laughs> with them. It sticks with all of us. Right, right, right. right. Yeah. So, yeah. And so I, um, I often, often feel um, that my daughters reference it, even at school, they've like driven Driven, uh, driven. they've drawn pictures, you know, of mm-hmm. it at school for their projects. And so it really sticks with them. Analogies stick with children. Totally. So what is this? We've been kind of dancing around it, but what does it mean to build resilience in kids? So I often follow the work of Dr. Ann Mastin. Are you familiar with her? Um, A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So she's a professor of uh, child She's a professor of child development, yes, at the University of Michigan. And um, she had done this research where she followed 200 uh, children and families in the Minneapolis public school system. And she, for more than two decades, you know, analyzed the adversities and protective factors in their lives. And um, she combined this research with all of this extensive research she's done with children experiencing war and homelessness and poverty. And she described the foundations of resilience in her book, Ordinary Magic. I mean, this book, if anyone ever wants to read it, it's beautiful. She describes resilience as something that's innate in all of us. So it's not something rare, unique, special. It's not like some people are born with it, some people aren't. It's actually a muscle that you build. And so she describes these foundations of resilience, which I like to use for families when I talk to them as a mnemonic called threads. Um, so, you know, uh, the first thing is a thinking and learning brain. Children love to really uh, use their brain to learn new things. H is for hope or belief that life has meaning. Uh, children usually get them through these, uh, through their faith-based systems. R is re- being able to regulate their emotions. And we can talk more about what that looks like. E is for efficacy or self-efficacy. Does a child have, you know, an I can do it attitude? And then uh, A is for their uh, attachment to their caregivers. And so do they have a secure attachment to their caregivers where they're not holding space for their caregivers, but their caregivers holding space to them. And then D is for developmental skills mastery. You know, so teachers often invoke this area where children experience pleasure or agency in the world by learning things in a stepwise fashion. And then S is for social connectedness. Do they feel connected to the world around them? And so based on this kind of framework, you know, that's how I talk to uh, parents about resilience, where it's not really the adversity that's um, the issue. It's the threat to these basic foundations of resilience. 
And so as parents, what we can do is we have a lot of control over some of these things. And even though we're experiencing a worldwide pandemic, we can keep these basic foundations of resilience intact for our children. So a lot of things I talk about is um, being able to talk about your own feelings with your children, you know, helping your child regulate their emotions by also being a vessel or a container, a safe space for a child to name their emotions. Um, a sentence I often give parents to give to their child is, I feel this when this, I feel blank when blank, you know, so they can fill it out with whatever they want to, to write. And it really, uh, it opens up the floodgates, basically, for um, what a child may be feeling at that time, and just holding space for a child every day. The other thing I tell parents is to maintain their routines. So there's a reason why children, why uh, pediatricians talk about nighttime and, uh, you know, bedtime routines for children, because routines are anchors of stability in our lives, even for adults. You know, something that you do day in, day out, every day communicates a sense of safety to you. And so um, maintaining those routines, even though the world outside is changing, is so vital. Um, and then I talk a lot about maintaining those connections. And I know we are in a pandemic and we can't go out and have play dates with people, um, but I don't know if you've experienced this, but during this past year, I have felt more connected to people than ever before. I mean, I have had people from 20 years ago reach out to me and FaceTime me. I mean, this has been the year of connection for me. I mean, have you experienced that? I've definitely experienced connection with people that I didn't consistently experience it with before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've, I've also still yearned for in-person connection that I feel a loss of, mm-hmm. um, or like more consistent folks that I generally saw in person. I don't speak to or connect with as much virtually as I did in person. You know what I mean? But right. there are definitely folks that I didn't connect with as much in person that I have totally connected with. Like, thank goodness for Marco Polo has been a huge one. For yes. Yeah. Like that, that like, I'm like, Oh, we never really hung out and chatted, but now we can on a regular basis and we're utilizing those platforms. Right, right. I just, I feel like we found all these creative ways to keep that connection alive. Um, I mean, my children have talked to just the other week, we had a family get together from my family all around the world. That has never happened, you know, and uh, I am so thankful for all these ways that we can be even more connected. And so that's what um, I tell parents a lot is that our children are grieving those intergenerational, you know, support systems that they used to have. And so um, finding creative ways to connect and supportive community of adults um, can buffer uh, that toxic stress that children are experiencing. Being a consistent, reliable, nurturing adult in a child's life, I mean, research has shown that that is the number one factor that not only promotes resilience, but can reverse the damage of any toxic stress that a child has experienced. Right. Um, and so the more that you can connect your child with all of these support systems, the better. Um, and then finally, uh, one thing I really tell parents is free yourself from the pressure to perfect parently, per- 
to perfectly parent during yes. this Yes. <laughs> Need that on a billboard. <laughs> I'm like, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm also guilty of this. I am the same. But if you can model self-compassion during this crisis, you are going to show your child tools that will last them a lifetime. I mean, totally. Uh, yeah, I think it's such an awesome opportunity to like really be fine tuning our like repair muscle, right? That we're all going to rupture through. We are carrying more stress than we typically carry, right? And we're making decisions. I, it's the decision fatigue for me personally, where it's like, okay, like this is what we're planning on for now. And we'll see how that adjusts or ebbs or flows, or it's like constantly making the decision of like, Oh, now the rules have changed and here's what we're doing. <laughs> and that just like constant is exhausting. And I think acknowledging that and recognizing the effects it has on our own tank and our own ability to be that regulated caregiver, to hold that space and, and how draining it is when maybe your kids were in childcare and you got to share that responsibility. Like maybe during the day, someone else was holding space for them. And then you were able to hold space at night or on weekends. And now it might be you 24 seven and just how draining and exhausting it is to lose that in-person village and capitalizing on this time of like really fine tuning repair and acknowledging like, man, I was feeling really overwhelmed when we were coming in from outside and I was getting lunch ready and you and your brother were having a hard time getting your boots off. And I yelled and I'm so sorry that I yelled. Here's what I'm going to do next time. It's just like connecting, coming back to that connection and knowing that not only are we not striving for perfect parenting, but in, in not striving for perfect parenting, we get to model repair, which serves them forever. Right, right. I, I think my children have taught me about apology more than anyone else. <laughs> you know, I, I, I am very, very aware now of how imperfect I can be. And the fact that I can apologize when I've kind of not been so great during the day has um, really affected them in the way that they interact with others. You know, um, my daughter, I used to always um, have this issue with my daughter. She would never be able to apologize. And I think through this whole pandemic, the amount of times I've apologized to her, she has been, I'm sorry, little sister. I'm sorry. I, I yelled at you, you know? And, um, and I think, I think that's uh, actually a large part of what parenting has taught me is to, is humility. You know, yeah. and and being able to understand that I'm not perfect and I never will be, and that's it's okay. Not the goal, you know. It's not the goal. Not the goal. And it reminds me of um, Jessica Leahy's book, The Gift of Failure. She was on the podcast uh, a little over a year ago, and but if folks haven't read that, like it is another walk through resilience. What does it look like to make mistakes? To allow yourself the gift of failure. To allow your kids the gift of failure, and then what do you do after that? you know? Right. Right. For me, that's yeah. what resilience is, right? It's the ability to navigate hard things. It's the experiencing something hard, whether it's capital T trauma, like ACE is hard, or it's 
that you felt embarrassed when somebody said something at the dinner table that you didn't love or that your sibling took something from you and you didn't get the response from a parent that you were hoping for. Maybe you aren't feeling seen right now, right? Like whatever this is that you can navigate hard feelings or hard experiences because you have a toolbox to do so and that the expectation isn't that you're happy and calm all the time. Right. And it's also, uh, I think right now, also the ability to reframe, you know, what you're experiencing. Um, you know, thanks for, for the, those in the United States, um, Thanksgiving is coming up. Mm-hmm. A lot of children are experiencing this in a whole new way, you know, um, not with their families, um, maybe just with a couple of immediate family members. And also ex- without family members that used to be here before. And so being able to reframe this situation and understanding that, hey, this is a new way to celebrate, but it's for the greater good, I think is so vital. And being able to talk to your kids about changing their perspective and that in life, sometimes we have to change our perspective and see things from a different lens, that's okay. Totally, totally. And yeah, that cognitive flexibility, right? The ability to say like, this was my plan A and we're going to plan B. Um, And we see, so again, this comes back to control that when we aren't experiencing and us as adults as well, I think so many of us as adults are going through this right now too. Uh, I was just having this conversation with my partner about um, Christmas time and just like the grief of not having the Christmas that we are used to having and uh, that I love and that I've experienced for years and that brings me so much joy and how I still want to experience joy (laughs) even though it can't be that way and being able to hold space for that grief so that I can allow something new to occur so that I can say like all right what does plan b look like what how else can this look and that cognitive flexibility component, I think we need to first hold space for that grief or the loss of the plan we expected, right? The like Thanksgiving we expected, the Christmas we expected, the school year we expected, that whatever it is, that we hold space and acknowledge those feelings. You were talking earlier about validating those feelings. I think that component is so huge before we can move on to like, all right, what does plan B look like? You know, we can't enter that problem solving phase when you're in your amygdala. So really experiencing that and holding space for that first. And, you know, now that you're talking about it, another thing I really talk to my children about is uh, releasing expectations. You know, uh, when you have an idea of what something is going to look like, you hold so fast to that idea. You have to, you have to have that mental flexibility where things releasing your attachment to that outcome, you Mm -hmm. know, and just enjoying the moment as it is right now. And so We've come back to a lot of joy and simplicity. Hormone Harmony is an all-in-one hormonal balancing solution for women of all ages. Happy Mammoth, the company that created Hormone Harmony, is dedicated to making women's lives easier. And that means using only science-backed ingredients that have been proven to work for women. They make no compromise when it comes to quality, and it shows. Hormone Harmony contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. Now here's the beauty about adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors, like chaotic hormone changes that happen naturally throughout a woman's life. Hormone harmony is perfect for those horrible menopause symptoms that put your life on hold, like 
hot flashes and night sweats, racing thoughts and low moods, poor sleep and feeling tired all the time, occasional bloating and gas. Yeah, hormone harmony can help with all these things. And the biggest benefit, feeling like yourself again. That's what women mention over and over in their reviews. And there are over 17,000 reviews for Hormone Harmony. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code VILLAGE at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code VILLAGE for 15% off today. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Ko, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, You'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. I honestly think even though this is a terrible time for the entire world, What it will show for our children is understanding the joy of the current moment and releasing the attachment to this outcome that we imagine, you know, and um, I think as a young child who's learning that, that's going to last them for a lifetime. That's huge. I, when we were researching the set method, there was this little boy who like, I've kept this with me the entire time. He is four years old. And when something would happen and he would get frustrated, he's building something with blocks and it crashes down, etc. He would go, Oh, that wasn't my expectation. And I was like, Oh my God, that's it. Like that's so much of these hard feelings. It's so much of what we come back to. And my husband and I do consistent checks. I'm like, Hey, what's your expectation for this? Like just the other night on Friday night, we were going for a walk and he was like, Hey, what's your expectation for tomorrow? There are some things I want to get done this weekend. Like, here's what I'm expecting to do. Do you have things I, there's always something running in the background of this mind that I haven't communicated, right? Like, what is it, Alyssa, before it all of a sudden I'm like, Oh, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? I thought we were going to go do X, Y, and Z, or I thought this was going to happen. Instead, being able to acknowledge, we always have an expectation. And when we can be aware of like, what is my expectation right now? Or what's my expectation of this thing that's going to like coming up? Then we can be mindful of like, yeah, that might not happen. What are some other options of things that might occur? Uh, But I think, yeah, I love that you brought up expectations. I think being able to acknowledge them and realize that so much of the source of our challenge in cognitive flexibility is not first acknowledging what was my expectation here. Right. I mean, you can, you can acknowledge the expectation, but not be attached to it. You know, I actually I had a child recently tell me, I'm NATO. I was like, what's NATO? And she's like, not attached to outcome. (laughs) (laughs) I want to meet her parents. (laughs) I thought that was brilliant. I was like, oh, I need to tell this to my kids, (laughs) you know, not attached to outcome, you know, Um, how brilliant, you know, and, uh, and I think, I think truly this year has taught me to be NATO, not attached to outcome, 
but hope for the best and do what I can in this current moment right now. Totally. And I think what you're really describing here is mindfulness, which is super buzzwordy. And I know a lot of people are now like eye rolls, whatever. It's so buzzwordy. But really what it is, is being able to be present, right? When we are when we are anxious, when we are experiencing fear, we're either in the past or in the future, right? We're either scared of what's to come or we're triggered by something from our past. And so when we're asserting that control, we're often afraid of like, what happens if I let go of this control in the future? And with expectations, right? Like how do we get back to, so you can acknowledge them without being attached to them. For me, acknowledging them is that bringing of awareness, It's which is truly what mindfulness is. It's not without judgment, without shame, without attachment, just being aware of like, what is my expectation? What is happening in my body? What am I feeling right now without judgment or shame or the need to change? And that's a great way to talk to children about their feelings, you know, to regulate their feelings. First of all, name it and then feel what's happening in your body as you're feeling this feeling and how you are going to um, look to the future. How are you going to make this current moment as positive as it can be. And um, that's a great way of regulating, helping children regulate their feelings. Yeah, we gotta know what's happening before we can regulate, right? You can't regulate something you're not aware of. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So (laughs) step number one, Uh, I've shared this story with our village before, but also in the research, we had this little boy who was consistently um, exhibiting what we would consider aggressive behaviors in the classroom. He is in a mixed threes and fours preschool and often hitting and kicking. And so we started by just awareness, like, wow, I see that your face is so red and your hands are so tight. You look so frustrated, like you might want to hit somebody and just helping him. And then over the course of a few months, he started to say, my hands are so tight. My shoulders are up to my ears and my face is so red and I'm so angry, (laughs) which was key. He had to be able to build awareness of what he was feeling before he could regulate it. Right. And that's the same for us as adults. So often we, we will react. We'll yell, we'll scream, we'll do something from a place of reaction from that feeling. And before we can move on to like problem solving, and resiliency, I think we really have to bring it back to being aware of what I'm feeling, where I'm feeling it before you can make any changes for us and the tiny humans. (laughs) So often we talk about the tiny humans and y'all, this starts with us. (laughs) True. Um, I think also what we also talk about is reassuring through the, through that feeling, you know, a lot of, um, uh, I think this is something that was opposite of what I've been taught in pediatrics. Um, when we have traumatized children, you know, they're in a chronically stressed reactive state. So when I talk about toxic stress, it's really a child who's experiencing so much stress that their, you know, their cortisol is activated. Um, it's it's actually dysregulated. They're in this fight or flight mode where they see the world as a state in a state of constant fear. And so when a child who's going through trauma is, is riled up and maybe having a tantrum or feeling these overwhelming feelings. um, A lot of times as pediatricians, you know, when we tell, talk to parents about having tantrums, we say walk away and ignore it. But for a child going through trauma, they're remaining in this chronic stress reactive state. So they need to come down from that. And so um, a lot of times we talk about reassuring and telling children, you're okay, you're safe, you're, you're going to be fine. And, you know, even with my own children, I've just given them a hug to calm them down, to bring them down from that state. And so I really, 
I really think reassuring as well helps to um, regulate those emotions. Yeah, well, and our folks will be familiar here with like the amygdala and the prefrontal cortex. And we talk about how our goal is to move from that amygdala and react, reactive brain into the prefrontal cortex. And you need to feel safe in order to do that. Whether you're in trauma or not, you need to feel safe mm-hmm. to be able to do that. And so when we are co-regulating with a child, whether it's a hug or we are sometimes just co-regulating is just regulating ourselves and holding that space and letting them know I'm here, which can let them know like I'm safe to feel, right? Like mm-hmm. this person, right. this adult isn't dysregulated by me having this hard emotion. I'm safe to feel and express. But working on that co-regulation is so crucial in order for them to be able to regulate the cortisol or adrenaline that's pumping and regain that access to the whole brain. Yeah, it's absolutely foundational. And I think part of that too can be maybe piggybacking with the reassurance is that validation is the acknowledgement of what they're feeling so that they can feel seen. And they're like, okay, she gets it, right? Like they know what I'm experiencing. I'm allowed to feel this right here and right now I'm safe to do so. And they're there to help me if I need help, right? Right. All those components of safety, I think are crucial in order to regain access to that whole brain. Right. Right. And a lot of parents will say my child is completely okay at school and then they come back and they they erupt and I'm like because they feel safe with you they Mm -hmm. feel they feel seen they feel like they can you know you will validate their feelings and that's kind of a compliment it's a compliment and it's so freaking hard and it's hard (laughs) it's so hard because it can also especially if you in childhood didn't experience that so Mm -hmm. it can trigger those inner child wounds of like Oh, but I never got this. Or where am I supposed to get this? Um, which will we dive into? We have a reparenting uh, class that the reparenting a tiny human's big emotions, and folks can dive into. They often dive into both of them so that we can work on that adult self in order to support the kids. Because so much of this, like, all right, here's how we support the kids. We got to know first how to regulate ourselves and support ourselves. Awesome. So you do a lot of work around mindfulness in general. And it, it, you know, as I was diving into your work, like that shift from, we'll get, I'll share about my love. Dr. Brazelton, T. Barry Brazelton was a pediatrician. He's now dead, but was a pediatrician and did a whole bunch of work in social emotional development and was really like a founding father sort of dude in terms of bringing child development into the pediatric world. And in my dream world, pediatricians are not responsible for everything that they're responsible for today because we don't train pediatricians to be responsible for everything they're responsible for today. Like, you're not a nutritionist or a lactation consultant or an occupational therapist or a speech language pathologist or a child development specialist, right? And so when we're looking at like this as a whole and the pediatric world as a whole, I would love to hear your thoughts on what what does your dream look like as we are moving forward in pediatrics for parents to have places to turn to to build these tools or to say like, oh man, my kid's delayed in walking or crawling and being able to connect them to quality services like an occupational therapist to assess their nervous system, things like that. What does that look like for you from the pediatric lens? My dream is what I'm doing now. Actually, it is a multidisciplinary approach 
So what I do now is I have built relationships with speech language pathologists, occupational therapists, Mm -hmm. mental health practitioners, mindfulness practitioners. I, my dream is that every pediatrician can have access to this network of professionals because a pediatrician can't do it alone. I mean, that's not possible. Back in 2015, my husband and I started a new practice. Uh, It was called Mindful Pediatric Gastroenterology. That's now part of LA County. And because of the mind-gut connection, you know, my husband's a pediatric gastroenterologist. We connected with a network of professionals to help treat our patients. And so what we had was acupuncturists, yoga practitioners, um, cognitive behavioral therapists, speech language pathologists, occupational therapists, you know, this whole network of people that understood that a child's diagnosis is not like one dimensional. I mean, there's there's so many layers to what can be going on with a child in trauma-informed care. We're taught it's not what's wrong with this child. It's what happened to this child. And so when we look at children through that lens, then we can be better practitioners in medicine. And so I want every pediatrician to have, you know, a a, um, diagnostic plan, which includes cognitive behavioral therapy, speech language therapy, yoga, acupuncture, mindfulness, you know, where you also work with the family and the child to bring this child back to health. For example, we've had several children coming in with, you know, abdominal pain for years and years and years and years and years and treated with all kinds of medication, everything under the sun. And you sit down with a child alone and you say, well, what's really bothering you? Oh, my, my, my dad wants me to play football and I don't want to. And just that simple fix, that pressure that releases fixes the abdominal pain. I mean, these things that we just don't have time to delve into in medicine are really big things. And I think we need this multidisciplinary group of people to give that different perspective and say, hey, maybe this small thing is causing this physical ailment, this physical symptom. Um, So yeah, that's my dream. And that's currently what I'm doing now for LA County We've uh, developed all these networks and resources, even online tutoring for kids. You know, we've connected them to online tutoring, to a lot of different therapies, uh, mental health practitioners that are available through telehealth. I mean, we've come up with all kinds of creative ways during this COVID pandemic (laughs) um, to help our children. That's awesome. That is what I was hoping to hear, to be honest. That's also, you know, it reminds me of the medical home model of like having yes, yes, multidisciplinary uh, approach. And I, I think that one of the challenges that I ran into as an early childhood educator, and that now actually we've started to see a shift at through seed, which has been cool, was like in early ed, I was like, child, de- I've mastered in child development, like this is my wheelhouse and what I'm trained to do. But a family could come back from the pediatrician who said like, oh, I'm not worried about it. We'll wait and see. And there was this like dichotomy. And I wanted to be like, can I just 
can you connect me to your pediatrician? I'd like to chat with them. And ultimately, one of my dear friends is a pediatrician. She was like, will you guys in child development stop putting things on our plate? Like, I wasn't trained in child development. I took one or two classes in it, right? Like, that this isn't my wheelhouse, but you guys keep throwing things on my plate that's not my training. And so we we were chatting a lot about this and I was like, what would it look like if that was the norm, man? If like when you visited the pediatrician at your visits, you weren't just visiting the pediatrician. Sometimes you were seeing a sleep consultant. Sometimes you were seeing a OT or an SLP or developmental specialist who could fine tune this system, right? To like really respond to those needs in a way that we don't train pediatricians, but we put on your plate. And I think it's just not a functional system in that manner. And I think it it should start with the training. You know, we have a lot of residents that come through and medical students that are now learning this new system. And we have in California, a surgeon general who created basically the system for, through her center for youth wellness. She's my uh, girl crush. Yes, <laughs> totally mine too. <laughs> um, you know, she created this whole multidisciplinary system in her clinic in San Francisco. And that is what we have modeled our, um, our whole system upon. And, um, I think in the future though, I think hopefully, you know, this is going to change in the future. Um, I think ACEs and toxic stress are much more buzzwords are greater buzzwords in our pediatric community. And there have been many, many communities and Um, systems to address these issues. So I think it's going to change going forward, but it's unfortunate that it took this long. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, that's how we feel about all progress, right? It's like, okay, we're moving in a good direction and it's a real bummer how long it took. Uh, Yeah, for sure. Um, This is awesome. Where can folks connect with you, learn more about what you do, et cetera? So I'm mainly on Instagram. You know, I, I, have difficulties keeping up with many social platforms <laughs> as well as working. So uh, my main platform is Instagram. It's uh, D-R-S-M-I-T-A, Dr. Smitha underscore MD. And um, that's where people can find me. And also my website, smithamd.com. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for hanging out with me. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to Voices of Your Village. Check out the show notes for this episode and all past episodes at voicesofyourvillage.com. Did you know that we have a special community for all of you to be a part of so that we can all gather together to raise emotionally intelligent humans? Head on over to Facebook, search Seed and Sow colon Voices of Your Village and dive into that Facebook group. We cannot wait to hang out with you and collaborate on raising these tiny humans. If you're digging this podcast, head on over to Apple Podcasts, scroll down, click those stars and leave a review. It really fills my heart to hear from all of you. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model. 
model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Get Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows.